Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It is an honor to uh, be here uh, in El Paso and be with you in your conference. What a tremendous atmosphere uh, that is in this place. Excellent, excellent ministry uh, this morning. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to go there in the Word of God. And as the uh, uh, we are in April now, and we are headed towards the NBA playoffs, and the Spurs are riding an eight-game winning streak, um, having won by 24 points last night. I'm in the mood to talk about the NBA for a minute. And uh, I, I was thinking about this sermon, wanting to capture an illustration, and I was brought back to the NBA Finals uh, 1973. This was uh, the finals that featured the Los Angeles Lakers against the New York Knicks. Game six, they're going to be playing in Madison Square Garden. The Knicks are winning three games to two. But something has happened uh, uh, in game five, and that is that the Knicks captain, Willis Reed, had injured his knee severely. The word was that he wasn't going to be able to play the remainder of the series. You know that, uh, if you remember or, or, or familiar, uh, you know that the Lakers featured their center, Wilt Chamberlain, who, even though he was getting old, was still a force. Willis Reed had held him at bay during the series, but now he would be gone. Um, the fear was uh, that the Lakers would uh, uh, win there in Madison Square Garden. Lots of anxiety. It's game six. They're warming up. The people of New York are, are worried. Both teams are shooting around, um, getting ready to start the game. Um, and then moments before the game was to start, after the warm-ups, um, there was a noise uh, that swept across Madison Square Garden. It is considered one of the great uh, uh, televised moments in sports history. As the captain of the New York Knicks, Willis Reed, came walking out of the tunnel onto the court, his knee was bandaged, he was dressed to play, um, everybody thought he wouldn't play the game, um, and here he was, even though he was uh, severely wounded, um, decided that uh, he would better serve the team by playing hurt, um, and the crowd erupted, the excitement uh, of that, he started the game, um, looking back, he didn't really do a whole lot, he didn't score a lot of points, um, but uh, they look back and they say that it was uh, the inspiration of the captain of the team, willing to go out and play while he was hurt, uh, that triggered uh, an emotional uh, uh, momentum that carried the Knicks uh, to the NBA championship back in 1973 uh, because their captain was willing to play uh, hurt. Now, for the record, that was 35 years ago, the last time the Knicks won an NBA championship. <laughs> but I want to preach on that spirit that Willis Reed had that morning or that evening, and that is this, beloved, uh, that sometimes in life, you have to play hurt. That there are going to be times in the ministry uh, where you are going to have to walk out on the court when you're hurting, uh, and it would be very easy to pull yourself back and put yourself on the disabled list. I want to preach a sermon called Playing Hurt. Second Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. Uh, the Apostle Paul says these words about himself. Um, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, help us this morning by the grace of God. Lord, I know that in this place are good men and women that love you, but they have come to this conference hurt. They have come injured and wounded by the assaults of hell. God, I pray that there would be a heavenly resolve to stand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now let's look at the battlefield first of all this morning. Here is our text. Uh, what a fascinating verse of scripture it is. Now keep in mind that 2 Corinthians is the ministry book of the New Testament. If you are in ministry or considering ministry, uh, you must come to know uh, this letter because uh, this uh, talks a lot about the realities of what ministry is all about. And right here in our text, uh, in a few short verses, the Apostle Paul gives uh, one of the best descriptions uh, that can be found anywhere about what real ministry is all about. The first six verses, he talks about an angelic visitation. He talks about meeting a man, and he's not even sure if it was a man or if it was an angel uh, that came from the third heaven, uh, that possessed revelations uh, that could not be uttered. Uh, amen. You know, unfortunately, I've met this guy a few times. Uh, usually he comes from the mental institution down the road. But Paul met the real thing. He had powerful wisdom and revelation uh, in his life. Um, and then he goes from uh, verses 1 through 6 uh, and revelation to our text of uh, verses 7 through 10. Uh, and he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Uh, and then he said this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Uh, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Uh, and so uh, in the first 10 verses, uh, he goes from the heights of ministry to the depths of ministry. He goes from the place uh, of revelation uh, to the place of assault. He goes from the place of God's supernatural help uh, to uh, the hindrances of life. Um, he goes from incredible visions uh, to incredible struggles. Um, and I declare to you that is not a contradiction. Uh, but if you've ever done something for God, you know that really is the experience of ministry. The experience of ministry is that God powerfully moves through us. Uh, and yet we also uh, are assaulted by powerful forces from hell. Can you say amen this morning? That, beloved, this is where the minister lives. This is where the pastor's wife lives. Uh, and every person who wants to make their life count uh, for God. Uh, you and I are involved in a real battle. And because we're in a real battle, we are going to get, take real hits. Sometimes you get the impression from some circles of Christianity that the devil um, is just a fairy tale. That there really is no spiritual opposition. Um, there are those that would say, well, if you just had more faith, um, if you just simply followed our formula, then nothing would ever go wrong. Uh, but I declare to you, beloved, that is not the truth. Uh, the truth is uh, that if you're going to do something for God, uh, you are going to become a target of hell. You are going to be the focus of hell. And the apostle says, uh, I had these revelations and because of it, a messenger of Satan has come to me. That he links, beloved, the blessing and the fruitfulness and the impact with his life with the assaults that came against him. He said the good came with the bad. And if I'm going to move forward in God... If I'm going to have God help me and minister and use my life, uh, then I better expect uh, that hell is going to take notice uh, and messengers uh, are going to come against uh, my life. Um, and I declare to you this morning, uh, you are going to have your own messengers of Satan. Your own reminders. You're going to go from places of powerful ministry and God's going to use you uh, only uh, to get home and a messenger of Satan to be there. To get into your car uh, or to go to your job uh, or uh, we're here at this conference and I'm not trying to bum you out. Uh, but how many know when you get back to your nation or to your city, uh, the Satan's going to be there to remind you uh, that, uh, you know, we're not just going to let you go. We're not just going to roll over and let you uh, uh, fulfill everything that God spoke to you um, in that Bible uh, conference. You know, we don't know uh, what Paul's thorn was. This is a subject uh, of debate. Some people believe that it was a, an illness, a long-term illness that wouldn't go away. And the man who would lay hands on the sick and, yea, raise the dead, uh, yet uh, had his own physical problems uh, that uh, were not getting healed. Some have said that perhaps uh, it was cataracts uh, and that the apostle was going blind uh, and uh, he was praying uh, and not seeing relief. Um, uh, uh, others uh, have said uh, that, uh, you know, John Shelby Sponge wrote a book uh, and suggested that uh, Paul's thorn 
in the flesh is that he was secretly a homosexual. And that uh, he had prayed about it again and again and it didn't uh, go away. Uh, and that's why uh, he has so much homophobic uh, writings in his letters because he was secretly battling his own uh, homosexuality. Uh, I don't believe that's true. I believe that John Shelby Sponge is battling his own homosexuality. <laughs> and to them that are defiled is nothing pure. My opinion, and this is purely my opinion, is that the thorn in the flesh that Paul is referring to are actually rebels to his ministry. People uh, who constantly opposed him and chafed at him and chafed at his authority, particularly if you were to read the entire context, uh, that these were people uh, that continued to vex and torment him. Uh, and uh, he was like, God, uh, relieve me. Uh, uh, like Cor, open the ground and swallow him. Uh, and he says, I prayed and prayed. Uh, and these folks uh, aren't going anywhere. And they continue to be uh, uh, as belligerent as they've always been. There's the idea of the messengers of Satan. You know, you look up the word messenger, it's the word angelos. It's where we get our word angel from. Yeah, yeah. It's also the same place where we get our word pastor from. Hey, may I say this this morning in the spirit of love in this conference? Don't be a pastor of Satan. Don't be a pain in the butt to your pastor. I wish I could say, you know, that when we have our Bible conferences that everybody comes and, and says, oh, I love uh, uh, pastors. You'd be surprised some of the men that come in with the attitudes they bring. Let's move right on now into the third sub point of point one. The myth, of course, is that God's people don't go through things and God's leaders don't go through things. Pastor Roy, a tremendous sermon he preached this morning, talked about sackcloth. Remember the story in the Bible? Where in the middle of famine, the king is walking through Samaria and he encounters that some of the inhabitants have resorted to cannibalism because things are so bad. And in those days when you wanted to show uh, grief, if you wanted to uh, uh, publicly display uh, your anger or frustration, you would tear your clothes. And the Bible says that the king is so overwhelmed by what is happening in his kingdom that he grabs his royal robe and he rips it. Without thinking, and the people seeing that, though, notice that underneath his royal garments is sackcloth, as Brother Royal preached on. That sackcloth represented a private pain. That sackcloth represented something that was deeply personal, that was in that man's life. Um, and so, as our brother said, you would put this sackcloth on, and everywhere you went, it chafed against your body. Uh, and it reminded you uh, of a private pain or a personal injury, uh, a wound in your spirit. Uh, and that would cause you before, to, before God to continue to pray and intercede. Uh, and the Bible says that when the people saw their king uh, wore sackcloth underneath his robes, it astonished them. Uh, because what is implied there uh, was this assumption that I have problems, but my leaders don't have problems. I may be going through something, but my leaders don't go through anything. Let me tell you something, church man or woman, you walk into your church and say, I can't wait to talk to the pastor. And I tell him my problems. Uh, uh, do you know that sometimes a pastor and a pastor's wife walks into the church with sackcloth underneath? They've got their own injuries. They've got their own private pains, beloved. Um, and there they are, ministering, uh, serving, uh, listening to your problems, uh, offering their prayers, offering their counsel, uh, amen, uh, laying hands on you, asking God to help you, when in reality, beloved, uh, they're wearing sackcloth underneath. Let's take a closer look at some of those that God used. Jacob. Meets, uh, uh, the Bible says, an angel, uh, and in the struggle reaches and touches uh, Jacob's thigh. Uh, and the Bible says for the rest of his life, uh, Jacob walks with the limp. Uh, he has power with God. Uh, he is going to fulfill destiny, uh, but he's not the same man. He has been touched, uh, and he has this limp that is going to go with him the rest of his days. The Bible says that Paul writes to Timothy and says, Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for your oft infirmities. How many know that was not it's okay to buy a six-pack of Bud Light? 
But what he is saying to a young man uh, who was sick, uh, and we could do a whole study on, 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 on Timothy's uh, uh, personality. He was a bit of a timid fellow, uh, uh, raised by a mother and a grandmother. Uh, and uh, now we find out that he had a delicate constitution, uh, and he had constant uh, physical problems. And Paul has to write and say, so you need to take some medicine. Then all the wonderful things that God did through Timothy's life, uh, that there was a man of God used by God, beloved, but he was sick. And his sickness apparently wasn't going away. What about Hosea? Now granted, Hosea is an extreme example. But a prophet of God with a marriage spun out of control. And I want to tell you something this morning. Sometimes God's people are called to minister when the person they're married to is not on board. And oh, how we love to focus on the family, uh, uh, Christian models, you know what I mean, of the happy dad and mama and, uh, and everything. Well, and thank God for that. Uh, and thank God for successful marriages. Uh, but the reality, beloved, uh, is that many times people are called uh, to some level of ministry and their spouse is not on board. Whether it's a godly woman in the church who has an unsaved husband or a flaky husband. I've seen men that want to preach the gospel and want to do something that make themselves available for ministry. Uh, but they're married to a woman who's dragging their feet or fist fighting with everybody in the church. And uncooperative won't take nursery. She's not on board. I've seen pastors' wives uh, who will not bless their husbands by supporting them and endorsing them uh, and letting them be the men of God in their lives. Uh, and they're not overt rebels. They're not uh, uh, to the point of disqualification. Uh, but the fact is, beloved, that there are people that are in ministry, but their marriages aren't right. They're not what they're supposed to be. And they're playing hurt. W. McIntosh Mackay said, of a great English preacher, it is once said that when men begin to look at the manuscripts of his sermons, they found one stained with tears. It was his thorn in the flesh, and so it is with many. A shadow lies on their home life. They never speak of it. They would resent the slightest allusion to it, but you know it is there. A wife, a husband, a son, or a daughter, these represent a burning point of pain in many a man or woman's heart. They try to smile over it and say nothing, but within their sackcloth upon their flesh. I want to talk to you secondly about playing when you're hurt. And a right response. Because if there's one thing that stands out to me about this confession of the Apostle Paul that says, you know what, folks, I have my own problems is that we find in this man that just because you are battling problems doesn't disqualify you from kingdom service. That just because Paul had a messenger of Satan buffeting him and uh, he was not seeing a relief, that somehow uh, he did not arrive at the conclusion, therefore I must step out. Or I must back away until I get my life together. You and I need the right perspective. We are in a battle. And in that battle, on occasion, I'm going to get injured. He would write in 2 Corinthians 6, In all things approving ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Paul says, you know what? I went through a lot of things, and he said, rather than run away from the ministry because of them, I say those things validated my ministry. That my ability to stay in the battle, my ability to stay on the field and stay laboring is actually what validates my ministry, not like, oh man, I've got problems, I better go sit on the bench. But I am approved. I am validated. I am vetted. Because uh, I stood my ground uh, even when things were hard. And I declare to you, this is an early lesson of discipleship. 
Let me tell you, got a lot of young pastors here, a lot of young churches. Uh, I want to tell you, one of the lessons you have to teach your young men as you train them for the ministry uh, is not to run away and give up uh, when life gets hard. That we must put into our man what Paul said to Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. That thank God when everything's going great uh, and everything's fine uh, and you feel good and you feel spiritual uh, and your wife loves you and your dog uh, is licking you uh, and they say, you know, you go out uh, and you feel like you can take on the world. Uh, but bro, what are you going to do when your wife's ticked off and your dog's bitch your butt? <laughs> You're going to have to learn to function uh, when everything's going wrong. You're going to have to learn uh, to minister, uh, whether you're the song leader and you have to get up uh, after you've just had a knockdown, drag out uh, with your wife, um, amen, uh, and you have to get up there and you have to say, let's sing, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. It's time to preach in the door scene. And years and years ago, I remember I had a guy get to preach in the in the concert scene, and and he didn't show, and we had to cover for him. And and then I finally tracked him down. What happened to you? And you know, oh, how we make it so spiritual. Well, Pastor Ruby, I had a fight with my wife. He'd just been married a month or so. And I just had a fight. I just didn't feel right going up there and preaching like that. So you know what, bro? I don't care what you did with your wife. You're scheduled to preach. You better get your butt up here. And preach but oh it sounds so spiritual you know pastor I just didn't feel right getting up on the platform and playing in the song service that night you know because I just didn't feel right doing the you know what if everybody who didn't feel right got out of ministry beloved we wouldn't be able to function here I want to tell you that right now the world's work is done by tired people and this idea that I just didn't feel right and so I'm going to do this honorable thing uh, and just back away uh, and not serve uh, because I just, I just want, I just wanted my heart to be right. Well, your heart's right, but now all of our hearts aren't right because we're ticked off at you. You're going to have a bad day on the job. Pastor, you and your wife are going to strap it on every once in a while. Amen. You can say, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Ruby. I'm from El Paso. We learned a long time ago never to fight. I, you know, I, you can say it all you want. But you're going to have those days, uh, weeks, months. <laughs> if it's years, then you need to schedule an appointment with Pastor Stevens. <laughs> Bruce Callahan was in San Antonio, and we had lunch the other, or coffee the other morning. And we, I was running this sermon by him, and he said, he's pioneering in Redondo Beach. He said, he tells his wife, one hour before church, never answer the phone. Because he knows that it's one hour before, uh, I'm not coming, uh, or this happened. Don't answer the phone. I thought about it. I remember when I was in Las Vegas, when I first went out to pastor, I learned not to call home on Wednesday nights when I was out of town. Because, uh, you know, you just vex your soul over the stuff that would happen. I had a door director, Danny Gutierrez. Danny's now a fine pastor in our fellowship. But Danny was our door director. And Danny felt it was his job only to tell me the bad stuff. <laughs> he thought that somehow that's all I wanted to know. And so I would, uh, you know, I was in Gallup Conference and it was Wednesday night. And I, I called Dan how it goes. Uh, and he says, oh, pastor, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> and I was like, you know, my... My heart's, you know, bad, bad. And just, they didn't come. They didn't come. They didn't come. They, and finally, anybody get saved? Oh, yeah, three or four people got saved. Why didn't you tell me that up front? <laughs> you know what a problem in our society is, beloved? And I'm not taking shots because I don't know you this morning. But one of the problems in our society today is the whole disability issue in America today got a lot of healthy people that are quote-unquote disabled drawing a paycheck from the government very bad when the government subsidizes disability this inspired me because over the last uh, year or so I've dealt with three uh, healthy young men uh, who are getting a paycheck uh, because they're quote disabled because they have schizophrenia or they're bipolar uh, and uh, and uh, they, they've got this or that uh, you know, if you're schizophrenic, uh, then put both of your personalities to work. But you know what? You... <laughs> Get a job. 
I was talking to a young man, big, big, healthy boy the other day, and he'd been coming, and I pulled him aside. I wanted to find out who he is and, and all that. And where do you live? He lives just by the church. I said, what do you work, son? And uh, he says, well, I don't work a job. I've, I've got a disability. Well, what's your disability? Well, you know, I, I have depression. And, and, I, I, and, and, you know, I said, you know why you're depressed? Because you don't work a job. That's why you're depressed. There's something about people who are capable, uh, who are not doing anything because I'm just disabled. How many of the church could be doing something they're capable, but they've removed themselves in the name of I'm disabled? I got problems. See, my marriage isn't uh, what it should be, or I have finances, uh, or this or that, uh, and, and so I, I really can't. See, I, don't get me wrong, Pastor. But I really, I heard Brother Puglisi said about surrender, and I really would like to do it, but I'm disabled. Well, let me raise an issue with you. One of the reasons you and I are called to play hurt is because others are depending on us. And let's frame this in the context of sports, or really, more importantly, warfare. The reason we play hurt is that we are part of a team. And they are depending us to fulfill our mission, or to function in our position. And the reason why uh, 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 Willis Reed from the New York Knicks went out uh, that day uh, and walked on that uh, uh, basketball court with that injured knee uh, was uh, he felt an obligation to his teammates. That there was something about playing hurt uh, that was going to elevate everybody around him. That was going to inspire them. And somehow this notion that I'm doing God a favor to back away, all of a sudden that dissipates. We've been given an assignment by God. We can't shun our responsibility. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He would say, indeed, Epaphroditus was sick. Almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on only him, but on me also, lest I should... Have sorrow upon sorrow. Hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death. Not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now here's Epaphroditus. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. This brother played hurt. He was sick. He was going through something. I don't know all the physical problems that this man had. Uh, all I know uh, is that it was important to the Apostle Paul to communicate that to the church. Uh, this brother uh, played sick. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't withdraw himself. He didn't back away. And he says, men like this, you need to hold in high esteem. That a church ought to have in their culture a value and an appreciation for people uh, who in the midst of their problems uh, stick it out uh, and stay in the game. Elevate this. Did you catch the example last night? Pastor Warner's preaching. He's got a cast on his left wrist because he injured his left wrist. He's got a boot on his right foot because they're trying to control swelling in his leg. He's in a wheelchair. And he's up here preaching away. Only a few months removed from having surgery to remove a cancerous tumor. Playing hurt. The reality is that people listening to that sermon last night on tape wouldn't even know it, would they? There was no mention of it. There was no acknowledgement of it. Uh, you would have sat there. You would assume this was a strong, healthy man uh, preaching, walking around the platform. Uh, but he plays hurt. Because he's part of a team. And because he knows what that means, like Willis Reed, to everybody that's underneath him. One thing about having Pastor Warner as your pastor growing up in Tucson Church is I found it hard to ever go to him with a complaint. <laughs> it's hard to go up to him and 
talk about how hard life is and how unfair it is. Kind of took that sword right out of my hand, you know. I remember 19, I think it was the 98 NBA championship. I don't know why NBA championships are in my brain. I don't know why I've got it on my brain. 1998. The Bulls are playing the Utah Jazz. I think it's game six, maybe game seven. I think it's game six. Night before, Michael Jordan's in a hotel and he orders up a pizza from the hotel and gets food poisoning. Knowing Mormons, it probably was on purpose. And he has to play that game with food poisoning. And they said that during the timeouts, that when the team would gather, he'd go off to the side and vomit into a bucket. And go out there, and I think he scored 35 points that night. Because he said, I'm going to play hurt. I'm going to play right through the middle of this. I remember reading the book, Goodbye Darkness. And I used this illustration in another sermon reading about a man named Jacob Souza. He was uh, on Guadalcanal. And when the Japanese and the U.S. Marines went to fight over that island, you know, these people had never, ever heard of America. They'd never heard of Japan until that war. And the Japanese made a fatal mistake, and that is they thought they could, by intimidation and authority, capture the island. And what they ended up doing was alienating the islanders who naturally went to the American side. Jacob Souza agreed to be a scout for the Marines. They gave this man an American flag where he was to hide on his body. He was to study the positions of the Japanese and then report to the Marines with the instructions, wave the flag and then we will allow you in. He went out to uh, do his scouting when he was discovered by a Japanese patrol. They searched him. They found the American flag. They knew what he was doing. They tied him to a post, uh, hands behind his back, uh, tied to the sitting down, tied to the post. Uh, and then they took their bayonets and seven times they thrust him in the chest and in the throat to kill him and left him for dead. This man was bleeding to death, but he had the wherewithal to get out of the, uh, uh, the uh, being tied up was able to crawl away from that post and they say that he crawled two miles on his hands and knees while he was bleeding from his chest and his throat across this jungle terrain made it to the marine position the marines saw him they ran to him this man is bleeding to death they wanted to take him to the medic and he called instead for the officers in which he could relay all that he knew about Japanese positions and only then did they finally get him to a doctor and saved his life. Because he believed in playing hurt. In this book written in the 70s is a picture of Jacob Souza. 30 years later and in this picture he's wearing a grass skirt, the native dress of those on the island. But from the waist up he's wearing a marine uniform loaded with medals. Given the highest honor that a soldier could be given. Because he said, I can play hurt. I don't have to say that's it. I quit. I give up. I want to try to convey this to you by telling a personal story. I don't use a lot of personal stories. You may not believe this, but I played high school football. <laughs> See, that's terrible. You know, if you say that and people laugh... Now, I know this is El Paso, the land of the big Mexican. <laughs> but down in Tucson, uh, amen, we're their normal size. You know. <laughs> I played, and I wasn't bad, actually. I'm not having a midlife crisis. But uh, I started, played both ways. And, uh, and, uh, and so we're playing, uh, we're undefeated, and we're getting ready to play our rival South Point Catholic High School. And... Um, the night before, it's a, uh, and I remember uh, the night before the game, I'm, um, I'm starting to feel a little sick. got something in my throat, feel like I'm coming down with something. And just for the record, I wasn't a Christian. And rather than go to bed, a friend of mine called, told me he had located some good 
uh, marijuana and stuff. And so rather than go to bed, I, I went out, stayed out to about two in the morning, violating my body, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and woke up the next morning, early in the morning. And by now I have a massive sore throat. I've got a fever. Feel like strep throat's coming on. I'm feeling really bad. Uh, and, and I remember, you know, getting up and I don't feel like going to school today. Obviously I stayed out all night. I'm hungover. And, and I'm, and, uh, and I'm going back and forth, my throat, and, you know, I'm not really thinking about the day or anything or about the game. I'm just thinking about how I feel. And so I made a decision. I'm not going to school. My mother, I tell her, I'm not going to school today. Um, and she, I'm going to set an appointment with the doctor. So I don't go to school, you know. Don't really think a whole lot about it. Went to the doctor. I, I am sick, you know. And I come back. It's about 2 in the afternoon. I'm at home by myself. The phone rings. And I pick it up, and it's my football coach. He says, where are you? Oh, coach, you know, I'm sick. You're sick. And I remember that because up until that moment, I really hadn't thought about the decision that I had made until I sensed the contempt in his voice. You're sick. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I feel, and uh, I'm, I'm not feeling good. Uh, well, yeah, okay, we really could have used you today. You know, if you don't go to class, you can't play in the game. And uh, okay, but I guess you're sick, click. I'm hurt. You know, I was like, hey, man, I'm sick, you know. And he had to call me. And I'm a bit honored that he thought enough to call, but I'm like, you know, you know. So I want to go to the game. I mean, I care about the game and stuff. And so I go early because I want to meet my friends. These are my teammates about six games into the season. And they're there, you know. And so I get there early. I'm at the stadium there, Tucson High. And I'm waiting because the bus is going to come and bring the team because our locker rooms are in another location. And and the bus pulls up, and here comes my team and my coach. And in my mind, they're going to say, hey, how you doing? You know, back then, you know, how you doing? You know, and, uh, and uh, they're, you know, talk to me. Uh, and instead, uh, as they're walking towards the locker room, Coach Anderson, another coach, said, Ruby, you're sick. Get out of here. I want them to feel sorry for me, man. I want them to say, hey, are you okay? Are you feeling better now? Get out of here. My friends just look at me with a sneer. Like, how could you do this to us? They turn and walk and nobody acknowledges, nobody says anything. And all, now all of a sudden, uh, I'm having a problem here, man. I'm a little like, you know, I'm, I'm a hurt. Uh, I feel guilty. Uh, I begin to wonder, should I have uh, manned up? Should I have, uh, you know, and, uh, and I'm going through all these emotions. Uh, but it really, they finally begin to dawn on me uh, that my uh, uh, pulling myself out in their minds was a betrayal. So I went up to the stands, watched the game. We lost. I'm not trying to bring praise to myself. The only game we lost all year. But... We lost. I'm sitting up there watching this game. And I'm going to tell you, man, I felt terrible. I didn't know anything, but I felt terrible. I didn't understand anything, any ramifications. Uh, all I know uh, is I sat there on the sideline watching those guys on the field. Uh, I felt like I should be out there. Uh, that what I, the reason uh, why I'm not playing uh, was not really sufficient. I could have done it. And I should have done it. And what really got me was after the game, one of my friends, Carlos Madrid, who ended up getting saved and being in church for many years in Tucson, said to me that after the game that our quarterback, O.C. Lewis, walked into the locker room, grabbed a towel, and just vomited into it because the fact is that O.C. was sick too. But he played. You learn something there about fighting and staying in instead of standing there on the sideline watching others because you're disabled. Let me close. I talked to you about the grace of God. Because Paul had a confidence, and that confidence was God will help me. Yeah, look, I'm going through this. Uh, this is not going away, but my grace... Uh, is sufficient for you. 
or there was a confidence in the grace of God. Now, Kenneth Copeland says of this verse that what Jesus was saying to Paul, his son, you just need more faith to make grace to active in your life. I don't believe absolutely. I don't believe that at all. I think that's utter nonsense. In fact, I think you ought to quit watching uh, Christian television. I don't think Paul, that Jesus was faulting Paul. What he is saying is, uh, you're in the middle of the ministry and you're in battles, uh, but there is a dimension of grace here that's operating, son, in the life of a minister. And that grace is what makes a difference from where we are and where we need to be. Anybody here ever felt insufficient for the task? May I say to you this morning that the sufficiency uh, is the grace of God. It is what makes the difference. It is what fills the gap. Every one of us, if we look in the mirror long enough, are going to locate blemishes and flaws uh, and failings in our life. Uh, every man or woman. Woman here uh, could sit and through their own self-evaluation uh, convince themselves, uh, I don't belong in the ministry. Or I can't be used of God, beloved. Uh, but there's this thing called grace this morning. Uh, there's a sufficiency that comes from God. And he says, you know what? I have a confidence that even though I am weak, I am strong. And the mystery of it all, Paul says, uh, is that uh, I glory in my infirmities. Or in other words, uh, I welcome people to look at me and locate all my faults and all my faults and flaws. Because in the end, uh, like Zechariah says, they're going to look at the church and shout, "Grace, grace!" Not all these slick men, these hyper talented individuals, but they're going to have to say, "This is the grace of God," because God uses imperfect people. Men and women that play when they're hurt. Let me take this a little further. You're safer staying in the battle than you are than standing on the sidelines. You think somehow you're doing this pulling back stuff. Uh, I'm going to just back down. I'm going to sit down. Uh, I'm going to back away until I get my life together. Uh, chances are uh, you pull away. Uh, you're not going to get yourself together. You're going to let go of the dominion you already have. A friend of mine told me that he had a Injured his back, and you know, vice, you know, just lay down uh, and let it heal. And so he's he, uh, you know, he's a pastor, but he said, I just went, I laid down. Uh, three days later, man, I get up, my back is still hurting me, it's still bothering me. I don't know what to do. Uh, I followed the advice, taking some meds, uh, and so he said, I called a pastor friend of mine who has a bit of a medical background, and and I called him and said, look, you know, I, I I'm not getting any better. And this pastor said to him, brother. The life is in the blood. You need to get up, start moving around, getting that blood to circulate to start healing that part of your body. He said, I got up. At first it was painful. Uh, I decided I would walk around. He said, the most amazing thing, within two days, uh, it was completely gone. That the answer wasn't lying down, doing nothing till I got better, uh, but it was getting up and moving. Half a million men died in the Civil War. More than half of those men died, not in battle, but they died of infection in hospitals. Staph infection ran rampant during the Civil War, and men would get injured, they would go in, not even a, a life-threatening injury, and then they would develop a staph infection, and then they would die. And historians now look back and say that during the Civil War, if you were part of, of either army, the safest place to be was in the front lines. Because that's where you were marching and you were breathing and you were active. Um, and the most dangerous place to be uh, was lying down in a hospital bed somewhere where you could be infected. Play hurt. A friend of mine told me this story. He uh, attended a Bible college and this college was associated with a large church. And one of the things the Bible college students would do is they would minister to their community. And his ministry was towards the naval base in the area where he was. And he said on a Saturday night, it would regularly they would go to the naval base uh, and they would pick up a bunch of young sailors. They would bring them in. They would spend the night in people's houses, take them to the service Sunday morning and minister to them. And the way they, uh, one of the things they did to bring them in is they had a football league in the afternoon. 
They organized teams. I think they used equipment. They used a real stadium. And then what they would do is they would play these games. And then at the conclusion of the day in the evening, they would bring the football players into a locker room and they would give a gospel shot, preach to them. He said that he was one day he was there. They're out there. They're playing football. And the man who was in charge of this ministry used to play college football. Very intense guy, he says. And we're playing a game and I hear a commotion and I run over and there's the leader of the ministry beating the snot at one of, at one of the sailors. They got in a fist fight. And this minister, this brother in the church beat this guy up, knocked him down to the ground and, and had this big fight. Game quickly ends. All the sailors file into the locker room to get preached to. And guess who's supposed to give the altar call that day? It's this brother that's the head of the ministry. All the Marines are sitting there. They're talking. You see the fight. You know, or the sailors are all talking. And he says, my friend says, I was in another room. And the head of the ministry came up to me and said, Brother, I want you to preach today and give the altar call. I can't do it. I failed. I blew my testimony. And my friend said, I don't know why I said it, but I looked at this man. He goes, he was my leader. And I said to him, is this what you expect us to do when we become pastors every time we do something wrong? And this brother said, you know what, you're right. So he walked into this locker room, all these young men looking at him. He says, I want you to know that I failed God today. I want you to know that I failed you today. And I've asked God to forgive me, and he has. And you know what? You guys have failed God too, and you failed each other. Uh, Jesus is the only way. He said, the whole, whole group got saved right there on the spot. Now, of course, I am not advocating fist fighting before service. But there's a powerful lesson there, isn't there? But you know what? You have to stay on the field and you have to fight. Come to conference hurt. You're hurt this morning. This old poem says, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leading me against a tree to die and rant. By a ravening beast that compassed me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Let's bow our heads. We've heard some tremendous preaching this morning. Our brother, Glenn Puglisi, ministered on who will go and here am I, send me. God is looking for men and women that will surrender. And surrender isn't a past tense, it's a present and a future tense. It's where we are right now. It's what God's saying right now. Brother Tony Arroyo, tremendous sermon this morning about laying hold of God from His Word and in prayer, about capturing the, the thrust and the, and the imminence of His return. You and I, beloved, we can get so caught up and so distracted so seduced by this world we're not having the kind of revelation that Daniel's having we're not entering into that and it's right there and it's available but it's something you and I are going to have to contend for it's not just going to happen my appeal this morning is that men and women would play hurt because I've been a preacher now for 25 years and the reality is that is how we minister we don't minister Beloved, uh, because we've got it all together all the time. We play hurt. That's not being a hypocrite. That's not being a phony. That's not being a fake. That's what ministry is. It's 
battling things that are ongoing and not even changing sometimes. Messengers of Satan, demonic assaults that don't lift. And yet we say, you know what, oh, it's okay. God, your grace is what makes a difference here. Marriages. I wish I could say that every pastor's marriage is just great. Every pastor's home life is pristine. But the reality is there are times where you're going to play hurt. Issues of life and heart and spirit. There are people here, you've been wounded. Ministry, you've been betrayed. God said, my grace is available. I'll help you. I want to ask anybody here to say, Pastor, I'm not right. With God this morning, I've come, I'm a visitor, but I'm not born again. You don't join a church, you don't sign a creed to get to heaven. You humble yourself before Almighty God. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And I want to turn from sin and I want to believe the gospel. That Jesus died, rose from the dead for me. That's you, I want you just to lift your hand. Pray for me, Pastor Ruby, I'm not right. Or I'm a backslider, I need to get my heart right. Before we do anything else, do you want to get saved this morning? All right. God speaking to hearts. We're going to stand. These altars are open. Any of these messages that maybe the Spirit of God has dealt with you, I want to invite you to come down and spend some time in prayer. You might have come to this conference ready to quit. You're already ready. You have your speech. You've already rationalized in your mind why quitting and giving up or backing out of ministry is the honorable thing to do. I'm not talking about justifying. I'm talking about, beloved, the realities of life. That God used flawed vessels like you and I. Let's lay hold of God. Amen. We might need a revelation of that grace that will make the difference. That grace that makes the difference from where we are and where we need to be. Sufficient for us this morning. God, we believe you for miracle power, for the grace of God. God, you'll help your church this morning, God. God, help every pastor, every pastor's wife. Oh, God. Lord, every marriage that is struggling. God, parents, oh God, who are wrestling with children that have become rebellious. Oh, God, with assaults of hell that are waged against their minds, oh God. God, we will prevail. God, we will contend. God, having done all, we will stand. Father, minister the grace of God in this place. Help your church. Have your way, Father. Have your way. Thank God, thank God.